Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Commercial Property Investor Podcast, where it's my job to introduce you to people from the world of commercial property. We're talking with investors and thought leaders about their experiences of the commercial property world and sharing our own lessons from the last 20 years to give you practical know-how so that you can follow in their footsteps. If you've ever thought commercial could be your next step, but it just seems too confusing and opaque, then you've come to the right place. There are so many exciting opportunities in this dynamic sector, and I'm looking forward to pulling back the curtain and sharing them with you. Welcome to the Commercial Property Investor Podcast, the show dedicated to the private investor, and I'm your host, Jerry Alexander. We want to show you how to cross the divide from residential investing over to commercial property investing. Through interviews, tips and lessons learned, we share experiences of investing and give you the inspiration, knowledge and confidence to enjoy this great cash flowing strategy. So let's get started. Welcome back to the CPI podcast. I hope you've had a great week in commercial and thank you for joining me for this episode. After our previous super popular self-storage mini-series, I've been asked repeatedly lots of questions specifically around container storage. There are people definitely interested in internal storage, but the container storage just seems to hit a nerve with people. Some of you might be listening to this. So I've decided to run another short series specifically about container storage and that's really thanks to everybody for their feedback and for their questions. And I'm going to try and cover off a few things in this mini-series. I'm not quite sure how many episodes it's going to be yet. I'm, I'm going to get a container supplier back on again. We've got Willbox coming on and also talking a little bit more in depth about setting up sites with them and how they do the design for sites to optimize them. So it's going to be really interesting. I'm also looking to record a couple of episodes with operators as well. So that will just come out over the next few weeks, those, those different episodes. And uh, as I say, I was specifically asked about um, containers, but not just that, about cost, right? So if you're setting up a site, what does that actually cost? What, what are the things I need to consider when I'm looking at setting up a site for self-storage? And of course, that led me to think, well, actually, it's more than just setup costs. There's ongoing costs too. And although container storage is really, uh, there's a low buy-in price. There's, a, there's not too many barriers to entry, at least not on the surface. But today I'm just going to try and cover off as many of the different things I can think of that we've had to give you some meat on the bones of actually how all this goes together. So I just want to start off by saying this is an experimental podcast for me, for those that are listening um, after this, because I'm actually recording this as a live onto our Facebook group, our private group for the CPI network. So let, let's, let's, let's see how what happens and let's just jump straight in here. So items for setup, right. So I've got a, a, a list here of things that I've had to spend money on and also some that I've not spent money on, but I've noticed other people have done. So... The very first and obvious thing is the land. Where are we getting the land from? Are we buying it or are we leasing it? And if you are looking at, uh, and we're talking there about barriers to entry and being quite low, if you are looking at trying to get started in commercial, this might be a way of getting in without too much capital expenditure because you don't have to buy the land. You could lease it. 
And I've seen land that's been suitable for containers for as low as maybe 12 grand a year, so £1,000 a month, and some that's maybe £40,000, £50,000 a year. Obviously, you're going to have to work out, there's a couple of factors in how much you're going to pay for that. One is location. Two is um, the, the, the client, I'm going to go into actually the land remediation. What do you have to do to the site? What's access like? And I think long term, if you have a site that's inexpensive, but in the back of beyond, the challenge is how do you drive traffic to that site? And it will you'll need to spend more money on marketing. So although it will cost you less to buy the land or to lease the land, it may cost you more money to actually attract customers. The internet will obviously provide you with good customers, but signage is the thing that's really had an impact for us. And I think a good example of that is when we bought a second site for self-storage, our previous site didn't have 100% occupancy at the time. But as soon as we bought the other one, which was in a much better visible location, we managed to cross-sell and fill the other one. And I just think that some people forget that, yeah, you might be paying more for that site, but actually it's part of that really should be your marketing budget because location with good signage will really drive great traffic for you. And it might prevent you from succumbing to future competition that comes into the market that locates itself in a really prime location and then you're, you're struggling to get those customers to find you because they're going to have to drive past that other one. Anyway, so land purchase. We've not leased any. I've looked into doing that. We've generally bought the land, it's come with the building, and then done our container storage. The second cost, though, related to the land, of course, is site remediation. Um, I would see I would say you need a minimum of at least a hardcore finish, not soil and mud, because there's going to be so much cost there to fit out the site. And then, of course, there are the clear-up costs. So it may be that you get a site... Um, that's got a hardcore or, or an old building footprint, maybe. But there may still be some debris there, some vegetation, some piles of rubble, maybe some other more dirty things that need clearing up. And just because a site is clear doesn't mean it's free from contaminants. I, I had my eyes on a good site before that had... Um, it was grass, but it had some hardcore underneath. And I, and I thought, hmm, this, it was about the right size to get about 40, 50 containers on it. But I discovered through an electrician who'd worked locally in a, in a yard not far from there, that that actual site had been a hole in the ground that was filled with some asbestos and then covered over. <laughs> that was the way that they dealt with the asbestos. This was years ago, but that was the way they dealt with asbestos. So basically it meant that this site was contaminated that was good to know because if I'd bought that site, I would have bought what was in the ground. And of course, some of us, when we're super keen, may not do any kind of surveys or get any ground surveys to see actually what's under the, if it's a brownfield site, what's underneath there. So just something to think about. People also look at um, where there's maybe garages and there's possibly sometimes some old tanks under the ground. You just got to think about these things. Doesn't necessarily mean you have to have them removed for container storage, of course, but it will have an impact on the long-term value of the site. So then there's the containers themselves. So container purchases. At the moment, we've been quoted for some containers at just a snip over £3,000. I remember buying them a few years ago at £1,800. These are called one-trip containers. They're basically manufactured in generally in China. They are put on a ship with a delivery for Asda or whoever it is, a supermarket or whatever has been shipped. 
and that comes over to the UK where we're based. It may be different from where you're based, but it comes over to the UK. The goods are all unloaded and then the container, rather than shipping it all the way back to China for them to reload it and, of course, shipping it back empty, the containers are just sold off. So because of all the, the challenges in, um, in the global economy and various things with COVID, etc., containers are still quite a high price, but it has come down from where it was. And there's a couple of things that will give you a variation on that. One is colour. Sometimes there's colours that are cheaper if you're buying one trip. I, I, we did buy second-hand ones before. That's ones that have been used a lot. But I think one trip are not that much more expensive. And personally, that's what we're going to be doing and we have been doing. So the second thing is your location. Where are you based? Where is the site you're looking at? Because there will be a delivery cost. And that can vary quite a lot from two or three hundred pounds up to seven, eight, eight hundred pounds. It just depends on where you are. And remember, if you're buying 20 foot containers, they come generally on a lorry that will take, that's a 40 foot lorry. So it will take two containers. So ordering one at a time won't necessarily reduce your costs. Ordering two will share your costs among two containers. If you do decide to do your own, as in go and collect them, just make sure that whatever vehicle transport company you use has a high ab. It's basically that crane on the back, right? So they can lift them off and place them down for you when you get to your site. Because in the past, particularly if you've got a difficult site, you may have to hire a crane. And we've done that a couple of times where it's been easier to lift the, the containers over a fence or whatever into location. So we ended up bringing in maybe two or four at a time, getting a crane in locally to lift those in. Again, it's another cost. And the crane guys often charge you for a full day, whether you use them for an hour or two hours. Gosh, I can't remember the last time we got a quote for a crane. It might have been 500 pounds or something like that a day. Just another little cost to think about. But if you get the high up in the back of the lorry, then every time you get two containers, two containers delivered to site, you don't necessarily have to pay um, for a crane to come. So the actual containers themselves, I said about the price there, but there's there's some interesting ways you can deal with this. You could buy them and pay for the capital up front. And we've done that. Or you could lease purchase them. Or you could just lease them. So again, if you don't have a lot of capital to invest, then maybe you should consider lease purchase. As long as you can get the income, you should be able to pay them off. They generally do it over maybe 36 months or 50 months. And if you've got a £3,000 container and it's over 36 months, um, you know, obviously that's going to be a few pounds off of your income. But it may be that you could do that because after that you'll own the thing. Alternatively, you just lease them. You actually just continually pay a monthly fee for hiring the container. And then you effectively sublet it, I guess, to your customers. You just have to work out which is going to work in your finance model and whether actually the site can afford that or whether you need a little bit more money up front to be able to buy and put that capital in. And just bear in mind, whether you're buying them or leasing them, don't put them all on site at once. Bring them in gradually as you fill space. I mean, I went through that before. It's just, it's really important from a, a marketing point of view too, in that when customers come in and there's only there's either no containers available or only one or two, and they'll have to wait until the next one's come in. That kind of helps is that fear of missing out. Whereas if there's loads of empty containers, that's not so good. Right, so next cost. Cost to think about. Fencing. A simple palisade or something maybe more solid. So if you've got some 
potential comments from planning application. I'm going to come on to planning in a minute, but if you've got some comments there, it might be that you have to have more solid um, fencing so that they're not as visible. Again, just something to price into your model as you're going along. And with that fencing, you'll need a gate. So how is that security gate going to work? You might get an electronic gate. So it has a motor in it and it's open with a pin or a fob that you give to customers. Or it might be something more simple. It might be a padlock with a code. And of course, if, you, if the gate's sliding, how's that going to impact containers around it? And if it's opening, how's that going to impact containers around it? Just another little thing to think about. I mean, the key thing is to optimize these sites and get as many containers on as possible, of course. So security gate is, is, is important in a cost, but actually operationally, you just have to think about how am I going to operate that gate? How are my customers going to get access? Do I want to go for a more sophisticated electronic system and fobs, or am I going to go for more of a padlock um, with the code on it? I'm not saying neither is, neither is the best, but they have different cost implications, of course. So next, uh, security cameras. We talked about security gate. What about security cameras? Um, are you going to put any up? If you are, how many? And which comes on to the next thing, really. What about electric? What about feeds? So I, I've been fortunate. Our containers are on sites that we own buildings. So we have already electrical supply and internet. If you're going for a brownfield site where there's no buildings around, you know, you're going to have to start considering, right, well, how do I get security cameras and security gate to work anyway if I don't have an electrical installation? So this is the next item on my list here is if you do go for one of those sites, do you need to put in a new feed or is there something existing on site? Quite important question, that one. Apart from the, the cost, which can be not, you know, is not insignificant, it's also the time <laughs> it takes for utility companies to actually install. And then, of course, the next one bolted onto that is, are you going to need internet access? Now, you could, there, there are ways of getting internet access without necessarily having a cable through the ground to the local box on the road. It could be that it is working over Wi-Fi from somewhere else. It could be that it's working on a local um, Wi-Fi network that isn't, doesn't belong to you, but it's, um, there are some community ones. Or it might be that it's um, working through SIM cards. I don't know. That, you'll have to work that one out. But if you do have a small building or something with electric on site, then you should be able to get internet access to that. And that will help with gates, CCTV, um, possibly even with the fobs and stuff for customers to come in and out. So all, all, there can be a few things that you can make the site a bit more sophisticated. Next one, tagging on the back end really of security is lighting. So again, electrical installation required, but if you don't have lighting, how much you're going to need, how secure is it going to be? Just another cost to think about. Let me introduce you to a key partner for our storage container business. Willbox has over 20 locations throughout the UK and their own transport, which is just one of the reasons we choose to use Willbox for our container requirements. All of their products are available for hire, lease purchase or outright purchase, so you can create a balance between cash flow expenditure up front and cash flow over the longer term. 
They also have their own in-house fabrication and conversion facilities, which allows them to create bespoke container or modular designs just for you. And as part of the service, the team provide a fully comprehensive self-storage consultancy package to anyone looking to expand their current sites or breaking into this fast-growing industry. Now, I'm really excited to tell you Wheelbox are currently offering a free aerial site survey for you, our listeners. Just quote CPI Network when you get in touch and they'll create a site drawing showing your optimal container layout. Now, that's really useful. Perfect for you to maximise your drive-up storage ideas. So, check out the show notes or simply type Wheelbox into your browser and reach out to their amazing team to discuss how Wheelbox can be a key partner to you unlocking your self-storage goals. Next one I've got here, which is really important, is signage. They can make or break a site. Um, and it's a great investment because generally you do it once. Put in your signage, hopefully, if you get the right longevity on that signage. You design it in a way that it's not going to be superseded. For instance, putting pricing on it isn't always the best thing because pricing changes. So once you've got those signs in, that can really drive traffic to you. And of course, it's either through a phone number or a website. And often we find it through a website. So our, our site's got a, um, the one that's quite visible, has got a website there. And do you have a booking system? Are you going to go for a CRM system? Do you put prices on the site or not? There are polar opinions on that one. Some people think it's absolutely the right thing to do, the best thing to do. And then others think from a business point of view, actually not putting prices on there. Um, has really been helpful. Uh, that would be for you to decide. But basically, you could go for a booking system on the website. It will allow people to self-check in, pay their deposit and everything else, and allow them to then either meet on site or be sent a FOB or a, a code. Depends on how you want to do your system. But at the end of the day, you're going to need a website, booking system, and a CRM. And I've put that in as an upfront cost because really you need to get that in place while you're working through layout designs and plan applications, all these sorts of things. And in fact, those are my last two here. Our architect layout designs, that might be prudent for a planning application. Um, I mentioned Willbox earlier on. Willbox, um, they have a great design service for setting up um, optimal use of sites. So laying out your containers in the right way so that you've got transport that can work within the site and also um, optimizing it so that if you did go for two layers, we've not done that before, right? for two layers of containers, how do you access it? All that sort of stuff. They're very good at that. It may be you need an architect as well to make it so that it gets a smooth run through planning. Um, but either way, Somebody to do design and layout, and of course the, second, the, the next one is the planning application. It's not there; you do have to pay for money, of course, for that. But it's it's just going through all the processes that you'll need to cover. And the big planning issues, of course, and some of you be asking this: Well, do I need to get permission? I mean, a container can be moved, or can I not get? Do I not need permission? So we've got a site with planning permission. We've got a site without. I would say if you're going to Go for this, and it's not just a side thing. This is a make or break on a site. You've got to get planning permission. Um, I've seen it where people have done it without planning permission and they've been removed. So, yes, you do need planning permission to run a self-storage facility on a site with container storage. That is, in my humble opinion, you may not agree with that, and fine. 
no problem. <laughs> but I think you need to get it. And, and I've found that actually a big planning constraint people are not so aware of is not necessarily the planning permission based on, oh, yes, it looks nice or whatever. It's actually the transport policy. So where your site is, can people, if there's a volume of people coming in and out of the site and containers and possibly deliveries, can they all get access? Or is it a little bit too close to the local roundabout or to other pr properties? And there will be a precedent, depending on what your site's done before, there will be a precedent there from the activity that went on on that site beforehand. But nevertheless, transport sometimes are the ones that... Um, stick their oar in and, and make sites less competitive because you have to put you have to put your entrance somewhere else and it then means your layout changes. So it's just something to bear in mind. Transport policies. So these are all the things that we've come across for setup. I haven't done everything on that list. Um, as I say, we've got planning for one. We haven't got planning for another one. But I think that if you're going to if you're going to look at doing a container site with a building that's one set of figures. And if you're going to look at a container site out on its own, that's a slightly different set of figures. But hopefully that will cover most of the um, content that you would need there for that one. So once you've got a site set up with all these costs, what do we have to actually consider about ongoing costs? So originally, what happened for me was I bought this building and with it were... Six containers? Is either five containers or six containers? I can't quite remember. And they, they'd they been on site for 10 years already and they were being rented out to customers in the building because there was a multi-light building. So we just took them over, kept going with it. Um, the, the, the customers, there was a bit of churn, sure. You know, people came and went. But it was only after a while I realised, you know what, this is, this is a great business model. So when we bought our next site... One of the things in my mind was, how much ground can I get with this so that I could put more containers on? And we ended up, I ended up chickening it, if I have to say. Basically, there was an opportunity to buy more acreage and I didn't take it because I was too scared. <laughs> I should have done. But in the end, we've managed to get 40, 47 containers on that site. We've got another two turning up this month, so just under 50 on that site. I could have got a lot more. But what what that that experience from that first site or that first um first building taught me was that you know there, here's a model where you can just buy boxes and put them on your ground. This is of course because I owned the ground. So there wasn't that cost and I just thought well that's that's simple that's easy to buy the boxes on we go. But there are actually some other costs. And that's really what I'm going to come on to now. So one of the ones that I've still not managed to get around um, or work out a way of mitigating is drainage costs. Believe it or not, the water companies want to charge you, if you put rateable value on these, which you'll need to, whether it's can, uh, as a whole site or individually, that will flag it up to drainage companies who then want to charge you money for drainage. And I've got containers on... I, 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 even saying this, I'm thinking this is nuts. I've got containers on grass, or what was grass, is not anymore... Um, we've no drainage and they're still charging me drainage and we've not managed to argue the case yet. So we're still working on it, but it's a bit challenging. The next one is business rates. So I mentioned that there. Are you going to rate them separately or are you going to rate them as a site? That, that There's some considerations there. We've actually got both going on, um, on different sites, of course. 
something to think about. It depends really on what split you've got on commercial customers and domestic residential customers. But either way, business rates are going to be a cost that you're going to have to think about. And then we mentioned about lighting and security earlier on. Obviously, there's going to be some sort of electrical use. But actually, are you going to have monitoring on your site? So let's say there's cameras and it's two o'clock in the morning and one of the cameras, has a sensor on it, it picks up that somebody's just come into the site, starts recording it. Are you going to get an application on your phone that's going to tell you at two o'clock in the morning, by the way, somebody's turned up? Or are you actually going to get a company to monitor the site? And actually, it's not as expensive as you would think, but you still have a cost there for somebody who's in a security room somewhere that when the alarm, not the alarm, when the PIR picks up somebody in the space, it will then flash up in front of them so they can monitor and see what's going on. If there's an issue, they may phone you or the police or whatever it is you want them to do. You can set that protocol. But it is a cost ongoing. There is another side to it, though. It's an ongoing cost, but also it's a marketing cost because, you know, it makes your customers feel more safe and secure. So who's going to deal with the site? Um, Who's going to deal with customer move-ins? Who's going to deal with customer complaints? Um, or challenges. Uh, interestingly, I looked at one site where they were doing padlocks, but what you did was um, you went on the website, you organised your container, the padlock got posted to you. Is that right? Where's the padlock there? No, I think the padlock got posted to you. Then you could go to the site and use it. They gave you a pin for getting in the gate. You got in the gate, you went to your container, which had no padlock on it, in you went, did your thing. And then you locked it. And then at the end, you would send the padlock back to them or they would keep your deposit. But even that still has an interaction because when the previous customer moves out, they're not always going to leave an empty container. And sometimes you'll have customers who leave who don't actually empty the containers at all. So there's, there's some interactions to go on there. And... My point here is if you're planning for this as a business for you, a trading business, somebody somewhere is going to have to go and deal with these things. Not all the time, but fairly regularly. So as an example, let's say you've got a new customer. Um, I've seen this a few times where if you've seen the containers, you'll have a, a, a large secure padlock. And then on the front of the container where the padlock sits, you can have welded on a cover. So it makes it more difficult for people to tamper with the padlock. And you can only really get to it with a key underneath. But I've seen it a few times where customers will come in, they'll start opening up the doors, and then they'll go to their lock to unlock it. But by then it's pressed up against the lock cover and it won't move. You can't open it. So then you get this phone call saying, I can't get in. Do you know who somebody's been in my container? Blah, 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 blah. And of course, what's happened is they've they've prized the door a little bit. It's crunched, crushed the lock, and they can't now open this container door, and they come on the phone to you. So there are little things that you could maybe explain that over the phone, but it's not always possible, especially when it's more domestic. My point is it's not completely hands-free. You need to think about it. So if you're going to set up a site that's 200 miles away, who's going to go and deal with these things? <laughs> Next one. Um, it's a cost that you wouldn't necessarily think of straight away, but churn. Churn has a cost. Churn is when you've got movement of customers. So somebody comes in, they take the container for six to nine months, they then give notice, they leave, 
then the next customer comes in. And there's an admin cost. There may even be a broker cost if somebody's finding those clients. There's some vacant periods. And long term, you're hopefully going to reduce that vacancy period. I'll, I'll maybe come on to that in a minute. But basically, that churn is going to have a cost to it. So just doing your site analysis based on, yeah, I've got 100 containers and 99 of them are full. Therefore, I'm going to have X amount coming in. Yeah, the, even even if you're really good at getting notice and getting it relet, which we are very good at, I have to say, um, you will have days, weeks where there just isn't an occupant in that space. So you just have to remember, churn is the price. For, for me, churn is the cost of higher pricing. So if you've got container prices at a high level, you might have more churn. And that's just the way it is. There's just that cost between the two. Anyway, so payments. I mentioned there about taking payments over the website. Yep, you can do that, but there's two costs. One is to your app provider or Stripe or whoever you're using. They take their percentage. And then, of course, it's just banking costs because then it goes into your bank and there's costs going on there. And most of the app guys will be up to 2%. I mean, if you're using something like PayPal, it's even more, isn't it? But if, if you're looking at a 1% or 2% cost on all your turnover, it's not insignificant. So something else to just factor in. CRM, I mentioned that earlier on. Are you going to try and keep data, obviously, in the right way, but keep data on potential customers? Um, I think it's really important that you do. We use HubSpot for um, most of our data stuff now. And it's where you can then promote to people when a container's coming up. If you've got a waiting list, it's easy just to put out an email about it. It, it, it can be... Very good to make sure to keep your sales pipeline um, working. Of course, another cost is if you are either leasing or buying, you've got loan repayments, haven't you? I mean, you all know that. And you've got some leasing costs to go back out as well. And then the last one I've got on my list on just sort of general day-to-day -day costs, apart from your time, is insurance. So insurance of the site, insurance of the containers. Now, there's a whole can of worms there if you're going to start talking about insuring the contents. Um, that, for our, our approach to that, is the customer insures their contents. Now, you could decide to insure all of your customers' contents and then charge them a premium on the insurance cover. But obviously, there's a lot more admin. And if there are some claims, it's something you're going to have to deal with, right? Anyway, so those are all the costs. I'd love to run through the list again, because there's about 20 or 30 things there. But actually, this is already on a PDF. So if you want to access that list, just jump on the website, um, commercialpropertyinvestor.co.uk, and look around for free resources, and you'll be able to pick up this um I can't remember what it's called now. I think it'll be Container Site Initial and Ongoing Costs is the name of that PDF. So it would just give you that list so that if you are looking at sites, you can just quickly jot them down, put numbers against them and, and work out how that site's going to work for you. So just a final couple of things I want to point out. For me, the big learning has been from buying a site that has a commercial building on it. So this is a commercial property investor podcast, right? This is not necessarily about container storage specifically, but I found container storage a brilliant business to add on to what we're doing. 
And having a building with some ground with it, as I described earlier on when I was looking at that deal, gives you um, a lot of advantages over just a brownfield site. Because the building can be redeveloped, of course, and provide an income, which is great. Um, it could support a member of staff, the building, which then means that member of staff can look after your containers too, which again is something we've benefited from. But it also provides you with commercial customers for your containers. So I think, I, I really should know the number for this, but I'm pretty sure over 50% of our customers in um, our second location are building occupants. I'm not making sense here, but basically we've got commercial customers that are already renting space from us and now they've also added a container onto it. Really good. And that means that you know a lot of those customers in that site are commercial customers. In fact, over time, and I touched on this earlier on, over time your churn should go down if you because every time somebody moves out, the next person moves in might be somebody who stays for a bit longer and then the next person moves out and they might stay for a bit longer. So you end up going from maybe a six-month or nine-month period to maybe much longer term. We've got customers that have been with us for years and years and years and years. And that's how you reduce churn. But I do like commercial customers as opposed to um, domestic. So the other benefit I just want to touch on about getting a piece of ground with a building on it, and really what I'm talking about is getting a building with some ground with it, but anyway, is that the land is often undervalued when sold with a property that's sitting on it because a lot of the valuation is a portion to the building. But you and I know through this conversation that actually containers can bring in lots of income, whereas if it's just land, um, it doesn't necessarily, they don't necessarily look at that from, certainly not from an investment point of view. So just a few things to think about there. Um, I think it's a brilliant business. I'd love to have some just container sites. It's just something that we haven't found yet. I have to say I'm not out looking for them all the time. Every time I talk about containers, I think, well, maybe I should be doing more of this <laughs> and looking for specifically for sites. But for me, the, the, the bit that I really like is the container and building together. So it's just another one of those little income streams that you can think of in your back pocket when you're looking at sites and you're evaluating sites about taking them on as commercial properties is actually this ground now, I, I can work out of a good income source I can get from this too. Anyway, thank you to all of our listeners, both in the live group and over the airwaves. It's um, been really interesting talking about containers. Again, I'm looking forward to the rest of this series coming out. If any of you have any questions, feel free just to get in touch through um, my Instagram or through LinkedIn, Instagram, I think it's jerryalexander.commercial. And remember, just continue to get out there and get in the swim. Hold on, did someone just say get in the swim? If you're excited by the prospect of investing in cash-flowing commercial property, but don't quite know where to start, check out our Get in the Swim membership. It'll give you access to the CPI Network, a group of investors just like you who are taking the plunge or may have even bought several commercial properties already and are willing to share their experiences. It's your chance to get around the right people, to build your knowledge and confidence about investing in commercial property. We have face-to-face -face events, regular online meetings, a resource library and video content to help get you up to speed. 
First and foremost, this is a network of actual private property investors who are actively investing into commercial property through a host of different strategies. It's one of the best ways to push past the inertia and get into commercial property. Check out the show notes or go online to cpinetwork.co.uk and as a podcast listener, you currently get a 10% discount. Just use the code PODCAST10. Go on, come and join us. I look forward to meeting you. Hi there. I hope you're enjoying the content delivered on the CPI podcast. Even though it's free to listen to, it actually takes quite a bit of time and financial commitment to deliver each and every episode. Did you know that by leaving a positive written review, you, yes, you, will have a direct impact on the visibility of the podcast? And that's really important because by reaching a wider audience, it helps our team to continually improve the overall content that we deliver to you week after week. For some of you, leaving a review will be second nature, but for others, it might be a first one. Open your podcast app, pick the CPI podcast and search for previous reviews. And on iTunes in particular, click to look at all of the reviews and then you'll see an option to leave a written review. Go on, it'll only take two minutes and it'll really make our day. And we genuinely read every single one of them.